And welcome back to the flip side. Galen Clavio here along with Brian Moritz. Um, hold on, Brian. I need to kick a baby out of my podcast studio here. Uh, oh, er- uh, it, it, it. Eris, Eris is on air. Er- no, no, no. Er- Eris is being unruly. No, she's gone. It's fine. <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't want her in the podcast studio. No, I'm kidding. Uh, actually, my podcast studio is just the couch right now. So gotcha. uh, we're just... Uh, Settling in here, uh, I've been moving for the last few days. Uh, rather sore. I'm glad that I normally, you know, sit here and and chill on the couch while I do these because I don't think I'm capable of any other physical sort of movement at this point. No, and you guys had movers too, if I if I saw well, correctly. Well, well, we sort of had move. We had movers for the really heavy stuff. Okay, but we didn't actually use movers for the rest of the stuff which which cumulatively ended up being very 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 heavy uh it was like death by a thousand cuts to some degree right um i remember those days and like i said like i said before we're going on air we moved into our house about a year and a half ago not only are we still unpacking we're still unpacking from like a couple houses ago yeah. and a couple moves ago um which is actually one of our topics that was suggested to us Yes, online yes. today um so we have a lot to get we have we have a lot of great uh great topics and some are actually great some are we're gonna i'll say air quotes great but um but as we say we will give you at least one minute um uh, a little bit of follow-up after our political talk last week and um we look really what's the opposite of smart after with some of the stuff we were saying last week well, what's what, the opposite of like prescient because uh, we were t- because um, it was funny because uh, last week we uh, were talking about how the Democrats, what could they possibly do and how could their convention possibly be a success? And as we signed off recording, I, I log on Twitter and Michelle Obama is giving her speech, which like right. kicks off just like an epic week of speeches for the Democrats. And now, well, and now, and now Trump is like acting like I thing I said on Twitter, he's acting like a baseball manager losing an 11 nothing game in the middle of August. And he's desperately trying to get run. By yeah. the umpires. Well, you know, uh, it's it's funny because it's on a couple of accounts. I think a, um, I actually thought that the so the Democrats did didn't do what I thought they would do, which was spend the whole convention trying to humanize Hillary. Instead, right. the Democrats became the mid '80s Republicans, uh, yes. and, that, and that was the way that they decided to spend their convention, which I thought was hilarious because uh, you know, it was like. Everything was like flag waving and like supporting the troops and I, 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 America. I America's with... great and all of this stuff. I'm like, wow! It's like you know, where I'm half expecting Ronald Reagan to get up on stage at some point I, during this right? thing. I, I was waiting for like the Hulk Hogan "I'm a Real American" theme to be, start playing, right? On some point as well, but um, I mean, it was, no, a, it was it was a smart move. Like I, I thought, you know, kind of. I thought the Democrats did an excellent job. I mean, they really, I think. They took the wind out of the sails of a lot of Republicans who were hoping for the kind of, you know, every day is Woodstock mentality that you often get out of the Democratic National Convention. Right. Uh, And you didn't get that at all. I mean, you got a really kind of positivist view of America that appealed to people. And yeah, and, you know, and, and Trump... I, I, I do think that to some degree my comments about Trump last week were kind of vindicated because Trump has just acted like a buffoon for the entire week now. And, and I, you know, we're seeing him dig deeper and deeper holes, not just for himself, but for Republicans who have come out in support of him. And now it's like, 
this this has a real kind of circling the toilet bowl sort of feel to it at it's, this stage. So, so, so uh, we'll get to our topics and our beers and everything, but we'll finish up on politics because this is kind of fresh. We're recording this on Tuesday, August 2nd, and this was the day for posterity, if you're listening in the future, that, that Donald Trump, he's still feuding with the um, Gold Star Muslim parents, um, which is always a fight you want to pick. Um, he he what let's see he said the new york times they don't write good um which is fine you're picking on the media but this is also the day he threw a, a crying baby out of one of his rallies that was what i was ref- referencing at the beginning of the podcast so, yeah it's, uh, it's yeah. yeah um it's just yeah i mean so it's one of those things where like you, you know, the, one of the theories you've seen online throughout this is Trump really doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be president. He just wants to win, or he doesn't even want to win. He kind of got caught in too deep, and he's been trying to self sabotage himself. And it's one of those theories that you know it feels good to say, but you don't. You know, it, there hasn't been any credence to it. But the the way this week is going, it really feels like I don't know. I don't know if that, that it's feeling much more possible that he's doing that, or he just senses that he's losing, and he's just like. If I'm, I'm going to take everybody down with me. If I'm going to be, if if I have no chance of winning, I'm going to just scorch the earth. This and like his really only path is he's trying. He's also trying to get out of the debates by by saying the NFL sent him a letter uh, right. saying that. Um, and, and and as Charlie Pierce wrote, if you have the NFL coming out on the right side of a public issue, you know we've <laughs> gone around the bend. Um, and he's like doing the. Uh, the 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 election is rigged. The election is rigged. It's just it, it. We have three more months of we have like four more months of this nonsense too. I know it's like you know this is to some degree why you would hope you know the the conventions were later just so we didn't have sustained weeks of this sort of thing that we're going to be facing. Right. But yeah, man. I mean, at this point, it's it's like you know. It's like we dropped we 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 dropped Trump into a pool and he doesn't know how to swim. Yeah, just thrashing around wildly at this. But it's like the horse latitudes of politics, you know. I mean, right? That the uh, it's, it's so yeah. I, look, it's going to be interesting. I don't know. I the more I've read about Trump, I don't think I really don't think he's the sort of guy who would torpedo an election simply because he didn't want to win. I think he wants to win. I think there's an ego. I think it's a, it's purely an ego trip for him. Absolutely. But I don't think he's got any clue how. And you know, I do think it's interesting because, um, it's you know, it's it's not having a negative effect on the people that support him, the, the like the actual voters. It it's having an effect on the politicians, but it's right. not having an effect on the voters. Now he's going to need more than his core in order to win and that's where it ends right. up the calculus just doesn't work for him but uh but a lot of the people you know they they he's reacting in a way that they would react in these sorts of situations like his particular supporter group which is right. why I think a lot of the reactions that he's providing haven't really had any sort of a negative effect well i mean they sort of had i mean you've seen the polls coming i mean the the polls coming after the convention show a relatively I mean, decent I mean, set I mean, among his supporters, I don't. I, well, I'm yeah. not. I'm not talking about like the the undecided voter or the independent. Like, I think yes, okay. absolutely. The the post convention bounces uh, certainly went in Hillary and the Democrats' favor. What I'm saying is, what he's doing isn't 
causing his core group of like whatever it is 28 to 30 percent of the electorate to back down in fact it's to some degree they're doubling down and saying yes we you know we want this guy to speak truth to power or, or something like that right those babies man you gotta you gotta shut those babies down um uh so um all right, so moving moving on from uh, from pol- from the absur- absurdity of politics, uh, yes. what is your what is your beer selection of tonight? Your your beverage of tonight, Brian? I am having a Rolling Rock. Uh, Whoa! Yeah, man. I, this is um, I've I've noticed this uh, the last couple of times I've done like significant physical labor. Um, I, I have an overwhelming desire to go with a, a what I would charitably classify as a working class beer and um and i you know but i will say this uh i would i would rather have rolling rock than most of the other like inexpensive domestics that are out there um sure which is weird because you know i remember in in college uh and i think you probably remember this period as well rolling rock was you know they were the kind of cool indie ish sort of lager and you know, they had the whole glass-lined tanks of old Latrobe thing going and all that yep. jazz. And and then they got bought by Miller, and they became, like, you know, corporate beer. But it actually, it's still a very refreshing, clean-flavored beer. And, um, frankly, it, it's hit the spot over these last few days in the 90-degree yeah. heat indexes while moving, like, tons of furniture. Yeah, so I, I I agree with that. I haven't had Rolling Rock in a long time, but when I have had it, it's it's a perfectly good, refreshing, solid, easy drinking beer. So yeah, it doesn't, I'm doing it, does, a, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't say that it's going to do. You know, absolutely. I I I, I am going for it with a podcast first uh, for me in that I don't have a beer today. I have Monroe County. Uh, the best Monroe County water available. Um, I had just finished up just before we, we recorded, we were doing some work on our fence line and out in the yard and I came in and same as, you know, not as warm as Indiana, but eighties, very muggy doing a lot of work. And I realized that the beers I had in the house, I had a couple of porters and I had a, I have a very nice, uh, three philosophers from Oma gang, which is wonderful, but I don't think the 9.7 would sit very well coming in after a couple hours of yard work. So, yeah. Um, we're going with water today. I, I don't blame you. So, well, I mean, and some would say that I'm also going with water today. So. I, 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 the joke, the joke would be, I have a more alcoholic drink than you do. Um, uh, no. so, so we do, we have a series of, we have some excellent, uh, questions posed to us from, from listeners and people who don't listen, but give us questions anyway. Um, as always, we put this call out on our Facebook page, usually the day we record, sometimes earlier than others, and you can always hit us up on Twitter at hashtag FlipSidePod. Give us a topic. We will talk about it for at least one minute. Uh, we've got some good ones here today, so I'm going to kind of pick and go go kind of pick around. I don't know how many you've seen or how many you've... you've I saw, uh, I saw yeah. them all. All right. So, oh, yeah, there's one you haven't seen because uh, it, it was a late, it was a late turn-in. Okay. Uh, but we'll start off with um, friend and non-listener Jared Pavani. How does Ryan Fitzpatrick remain an NFL quarterback? Ryan Fitzpatrick is perhaps the he's the greatest example in this generation of the replacement level quarterback in my opinion. Uh he's right. So guess. so kind of like okay, so you know like back in the for the for you youngins out there, you know, back in the back in the 80s and early 90s before unrestricted free agency uh hit the uh hit the NFL. 
you know, you, you would didn't have a lot of quarterback movement and guys got drafted or guys got picked up off the scrap heap. And it was rare that you would have a guy that, um, you know, that, that you knew, you know, that, that like floated around that you knew much about or that was able to really accomplish a whole lot in his career. And, you know, Fitzpatrick is kind of like the this generation's version, but the thing is he's been around so much, and m- most of the time not with high-profile teams. Like most of the time it's with, you know, Buffalo, the Bills. Cincinnati, uh, you know, I mean like those sorts of teams. So he does all of that, and then he goes to New York, and he has like a very typical Ryan Fitzpatrick season, but he's got like a slightly better than normal defense to go along with mm-hmm. what he's doing. And, you know, he – He's just a guy who he brings just enough to the table that you can win enough games to get into the playoffs, but he doesn't bring unless enough to the table unless you're, well, <laughs> Buffalo had other issues, I guess. You know, it's like if you've got everything else in place, mm-hmm. he will get you to kind of where you need to be in terms of we're in the playoffs. But he's you're never going to win a playoff series with him or a playoff game. You're never going to win, uh, you know, a, a, a conference championship with him. You're never going to, you know, get to a Super Bowl with the guy. And even though everybody supposedly wants to win the Super Bowl, if you think about it, how many quarterbacks are really capable of winning the Super Bowl in any given year? I mean, wh- what is the number? Like eight? Maybe, 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 maybe eight. I mean, yeah. we did. I think we did this on an earlier episode of the podcast where we actually tried to, like go through and count the actual potentially Super Bowl winning quarterbacks that were out there. And, you know, and again, again, occasionally you'll have a guy pop up out of nowhere, like Russell Wilson. I don't think anybody was expecting he would win a Super Bowl before he won one. But, um, but by and large, you know, once you get past your Mannings and your, you know, your Aaron Rodgers and your, your, you know, and you know, I guess, uh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, Joe Flacco, guys like that. There just aren't that many quarterbacks that can win a Super Bowl. And so, you'd would you rather have a guy that has proven nothing, or would you rather have a guy that it's at least proven that he can get you close to the playoffs? And so, I think that's how he keeps a job. I I, I would. For, by, by the way, when you're kind of talking about the uh, the like '80s level replacement quarterback, the one name that popped in my head, Steve, uh, Steve Bartowski. Yeah. Steve, I, you know, uh, Steve, I Steve. I don't Steve know why, De, but Steve DeBerg. Steve DeBerg, yes. You know, I mean, I that remember, time. you know, remember when, you know, when Montana, you know, he went to Kansas City for a couple of years, and I think DeBerg might have been there. Um, mm-hmm. And and you know, so DeBerg, uh, you know, ends up losing his job or gets his job back, and he, you know, I mean, DeBerg was, you know, he'd get you to the playoffs, but you just were, you were never doing anything. There's only one guy I can think of from that era who was a replacement type quarterback who actually ended up putting it together and getting to a Super Bowl, and that was Rich Gannon. Yeah, uh, you know, because Gannon, because yep. Gannon, he, went, he, that, he was with the uh, with Gruden with the Raiders, right? That's where he went to the Super Bowl. But before that, he right. was with the Chiefs. He lost his job there. Right. He yeah. he was with he was with the the Vikings. Remember, he was in like a weird quarterback yep. battle with with somebody. Randall Cunningham. Uh, no, before Randall Cunningham. He, he was before Randall Cunningham. Um, you know, and and it was odd that Rich Gannon was going to be in, in a Super Bowl, and and ironically. Mm-hmm. He lost in that Super Bowl to another replacement level quarterback in Brad Johnson, a guy who never did anything again after that. So, right. you know, you do occasionally see these guys bubble up, and you know, and it's just so much of the NFL. I feel like is just luck. You know, I mean, and it's funny. It's like it's it's supposedly like 
for GMs, for coaches, for for quarterbacks. It's like, you know, this is the biggest manly proving ground that we have where, you know, like your your game plan won that game and the other team wasn't as good or the other coach wasn't as good, whatever. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, it's like sometimes I think it's just, the, you know, a flip of the coin to some degree. Yep. And, and that's, that's – yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would take Ryan Fitzpatrick and that glorious beard on my team. I, w- I-, I hated that they got rid of him a couple years ago, especially since they that they dumped him for EJ Manuel. <laughs> um, which is, um, look, Fitzpatrick, like you know, to use the parlance of football and the, of the late great Denny Green, that we, you know, he is who you think he is, right? But you know, and, and it was funny, like the, the 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 Bills beat the Jets in the season closer last year, and it was Fitzpatrick at Buffalo. Jets had to win to make the playoffs. And he throws three picks in the second half, which, as every Bills fan knew, that was coming because that's just, you know, you, you accept that's kind of a Fitzpatrick-level game. But he's, you know, he's a competent, good NFL quarterback. And you're right. If you put him on a team with an excellent defense with decent wide receivers, you know, he's, he, he, he's, you know, he's, you know, I'd take him, you know, if the Bills had had him, the year that they had Kyle Orton as quarterback and that defense, the dog is the dog makes an appearance. Yeah, Nelson Sorry. Nelson's wandering Nelson. around. Yeah. Um. I uh, anyway, if uh, like, if they had had him the year they had Kyle Orton, they might have you know maybe they win with that extra game that gets them in the playoffs. You know. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's like the Broncos. I mean, would they have won the Super Bowl last year? I mean, or won games in the playoffs with Ryan Fitzpatrick instead of Peyton Manning? Maybe. I mean, Peyton Manning wasn't wasn't exactly doing a lot out there from a quarterbacking perspective, but but my point is, you pair him with a great defense, he's probably going to be fine. You pair him with like right. you know league average personnel, you're going to get league average results. Right, right. And I do love the beard. I I, I, I absolutely. <laughs> he, he needs a haircut, but the beard is awesome. I mean, I, I I have a soft spot for Fitzpatrick, even though he plays for the Jets against my team. I I, I really 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 like him a lot. Yeah. So um. Um, okay, next topic from uh, friend and non-listener Steve Gatteen. Gold bond powder. You know, uh, I'm going to let you start on this one. I, pre- I appreciate that. I, th- this made me, I, I, I've never, if I've used it, it's rare. Um, it makes me think of a scene from my fa- one of my favorite movies the last couple of years, Chef. And they're driving in uh, the food truck. They're driving, uh, I, think, I think, near Louisiana. So they're driving from like Florida to New Orleans. And John Leguizamo's character, uh, the kid in the truck, the kid in the truck, uh, uh, the main character's son, he catches him putting cornstarch down his shorts in the middle of the night in right. an attempt to, uh, you know, to for for relief. And so they spread the cornstarch. It becomes a joke. They spread the cornstarch. Everyone, all the guys, put it down their put it down their shorts. And uh, and uh, John Favreau's character goes. And the best part, if you di- you, you, you you dip your in uh, in oil in the morning, you have hush puppies. Um, gets a big laugh. <laughs> Um, so that's you know that that's where my my mind went with uh, gold bond. Apparently, there's gold bond powder spray, which apparently is legit. I've now ex- pretty much um, it used to be ad- my, the only knowledge I have of it too is I feel like it was one of those things that was always advertised on like TV on like three thirty in the afternoon during the week on school, like gold bond medicated powder. Like that seems like like a baseball game advertisement or a sports rate or something like that or, or, that's or, stuck in my mind. Or like conservative talk radio, like that—that mm-hmm. that sort of an advertisement, like, sure. like, like next to, uh, you know, like, uh, gin, like that Jinkoba or, or whatever. Yes. The, you know, like, 
Yeah, it was, that's it. Was it. Just, it. It was definitely ra- it was definitely sports talk radio that I would hear, or whatever talk radio was on. Yeah. It was definitely like Ginkola Gold Bond Medicated Powder presents Paul Harvey or something like that. Hooked, I feel like that's what happened. Hooked on phonics or something like that. Yes. Yeah. You know, look, uh, I mean... Oh, uh, uh, the glory days of eight, of, of early 90s uh, uh, radio advertisements. Yeah. There's yeah. some classics there. There are There's some good stuff. You know, it's like I, my roommate in college was uh, a... a cons- he was an adherent, I think maybe the best, best way to put it, for like baby powder. Like he okay. used baby powder constantly, which I always thought was odd. But he just he claimed that it provided a level of freshness that you couldn't get elsewhere. So uh, <laughs> I, I always assumed that the gold bond thing was the same. I've never used it myself, uh, so I can't really okay. comment on this one way or the other. But um, well, I was going to say I'll do some homework for the next podcast, but that would be a lie. So yeah, yeah. And if Gold Bond would like to sponsor the podcast, and who are we to judge? Um, skipping would, around here, skipping would, around here a little bit. Would we, we take we, that we, money we, if they gave it to us? Yes, we would. Never mind. Anyway, yes, we would. What, what kind of crazy talk is that? <laughs> um, all right, bouncing around here a little bit. Um, my my sister, my half sister in law, Brenda Roberts, chimes in. Uh, Pokemon or Pac Man? As a question. Um, I mean. Uh, I guess I don't understand the context of the question, but but I would say, literally, the context of the question is Pokemon or Pac Man. I feel um, like that's so broad, though. Uh, yes. In terms of in terms of what I like, I, I I'm much more of a. I like Pac Man because I grew up with it, uh, but but it is infuriatingly limiting in terms of the character spread because. Not so much because we didn't have that sort of imagination, but more because we didn't have that many bites back then. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like, you could change the colors of the ghosts, but we couldn't have, like, a bunch of different evil things on, on the grid. Uh, so I will say I, I think some of the Pokemon characters are actually kind of clever, and, and I like them. But mm-hmm. uh, nostalgia points me in the direction of Pac-Man. I do think a, a Pac-Man Go if they like merged it with a oh. different with a different uh universe of characters so it wasn't just the ghost but we also like maybe included like characters from Sonic the Hedgehog or something like that or like Hubert like, jump like Hubert's jumping from roof to roof and he that, might land on you that'd I, be awesome yeah maybe like a pan atari go or something like that you could have like yes. pac-man and cubert and the like you know, Donkey Kong stuff like right, that. You know, like, I, all I of a sudden, Dig Dig Dug starts shooting his yeah. head out of the ground. Yeah, I think we're onto something here. Um, I'm definitely a Pac Man. Um, it's funny too. As I was thinking about this. You know, again, nostalgia and what I grew up playing and what I know about. Um, I, I I wonder how. And again, I be, because I'm I, I'm an '80s kid as you are. Like to me, Pac Man and like that that game and like the basic characters and the gist of it is kind of so iconic that I wonder if it's more, more, I feel like it's more symbolic of the eighties and it wins on a symbolism move. Cause I don't know. I, I can't picture Pokemon and I know it is. I, I'm not trying to denigrate it. At all. I just, I've never played anything with Pokemon, so I'm not super familiar with it. Right. Um, but I wonder, I, I don't know, I, I feel like Pac-Man has kind of a culture, a, a wider acceptance, a wider cultural cachet than Pokemon does. 
um, just because I feel like generations w- would recognize like Pac-Man. Oh yeah, it's the the, the yellow guy and the and the bites and the ghosts. Whereas Pokemon, uh, I, I I think there's a lot of sh- what is this shrugging their shoulders on? I'm probably way wrong on this. I mean, but- I, again, I think I, I do think this is kind of a generation gap. I mean, I, there's a, there's a significant amount of pokemon fandom out there it's just not us and nobody that right. we grew up with because we were you know it's from an earlier era i i will say it, it's always fascinating to me with pac-man how everybody remembers that like the character and and the idea and yet the mass exposure that most people of our age had to pac-man was the atari version of the game which yep. was like uniformly awful. Like people talk about right. ET being a terrible video game, and it was. I loved ET. It was terrible, but I loved that game. It was uh, Pac-Man was was almost as bad. Like it worked, but it was like mm-hmm. it took all of the graphics and the originality and the fun and kind of sucked it out of the original console version and and turned it into something that was just bland to look at and and not well conceived. Which is it's just interesting because it didn't really hurt the the popularity of it or anything like that it just right that, you know just I, i've always thought that was an interesting cultural artifact you were more of a pac-man or miss pac-man guy in terms of playing the game um i would say i've had i had a lot more wh- where i grew up the tabletop games were a lot more miss pac-man than pac-man i don't know why that mm-hmm. was but like even into the mid 90s you were more likely to see miss pac-man than you were regular pac-man and you know, so I mean, to me, they played pretty much the same. Um, yeah. But but I uh, I would just by what my experiences were in the past, I'd say Miss Pac Man. I really do miss the tabletop games in the pizza shop, the, the the like flat games that you'd sit at and play. I really, I mean, I mean, you know, we we could do a whole show, and we almost did before we got all these questions on eighties nostalgia and uh, and like like the, the phenomenon of Stranger Things on Netflix and don't you live um, in the, in the part of New York where they've got like the video game like arcade that like the the historical one yes oh the, uh, the the strong the National Museum of Play at the Strong yes we are, we're members we go all the time Just, see that's yeah I, I saw I think a, a thirty for thirty short on that once and I was like yes. how does that exist like it's like, a, it, it what, what's really amazing is that there's a uh, uh, so they so the, it's a museum of play. So they have like toys, and, and and it's a museum celebrating toys and celebrating play and the benefits of it. And the upstairs portion, they have a vintage arcade, and they have select games from throughout the uh, the video game history history of video games, like that back from you know Frogger and Pac Man and like the stuff we grew up playing to like Dance Dance Revolution and Guitar Hero and and and, and it really does the, the spectrum and I've been to a, to events there private events there where they, and, and it's like you know if, uh you, you put the dollar in you get tokens it's like like the old arcade but right. they the, we'll go there for, I've been there for special events and they just have like cups of like bowls of tokens sitting out and it's like the best thing ever cuz you're just playing arcade games all day so I think you need a road trip. We could do a special live bro- podcast from the arcade at the Museum of Play. I'm down with that. We'll make we'll make it Beautiful. happen. Yeah, awesome. All right, jumping around in uh, 
in in the in the questions here. Uh, let's see. We'll go to uh, fr- my my friend, Doctor Jen Billinson, with a question. Um, this is I don't know what we're going to make of this, but we'll make it work. I've been wondering today what Puff Daddy P Diddy Sean Combs has been up to, and I could Google it, but I would like to hear your thoughts. Now I do know from the Facebook thread that he and family air quotes are doing a 24 city tour and he brags that it's not so much a musical tour as it is an event um so that's what he's doing i don't necessarily think the world is calling out for uh sean puff daddy p diddy combs to be making music live anymore and okay i'll say making music live in air quotes um but now i guess we can move from 80s nostalgia into 90s nostalgia right for uh I do you have a, 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 a P. Diddy era that you prefer, or a name that you prefer? Puffy, P. Diddy, Sean Co- Like, Do you have a, an identity of his that you prefer? I mean, prefer would, <laughs> it would indicate a, a level of, of adherence that isn't there. But, right? uh, I mean, I, I, you know, my, my recollection of when I first became aware of him, he was going by Puff Daddy. And so right. I, I would have to go with that, I guess. Sure. Um, interestingly enough, um, he is, uh, he is f- going to be 47 years old in November. Oh, wow. I mean, so like most people would not have thought that, but yeah, he's, he was born in 1969. Um, he is, uh, I'm, I'm some great research that I'm doing on his Wikipedia page here. Uh, right. he is Which worth, is never wrong. he is worth $735 million dollars. Oh, uh, this is this is a man who did uh, quite well for himself. Um, right. Yeah. It's uh, well, I f- yeah, you forget like not only all the music stuff, but he's but um, the clothing. I'm looking at the same page. You are the clothing line and stuff, which is, you know, kind of given him a little bit more business longevity than, you know, you know, the, the well, guy I- who's saying I'm missing you would normally have, I think. Well, look, he he was very smart. I mean, in terms of you know the way that he leveraged his his position with um, with with Uptown Records to to create Bad Boy, you know, Bad Boy Entertainment was like you know that was a that was a well known entity in the '90s. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, you think about the the artists that came through that. I mean, you know, Notorious B.I.G. is is obviously the one that everybody knows, but Faith right. Evans came through that outfit and. Uh, you know, worked production-wise with with everybody from Mariah Carey to Mary J. Blige to Usher to to Boys to Men. I mean, you know, like th- this is this is a guy who most of us knew from his public entertainment face, and while right. that was one aspect of things, he was doing so much more behind the scenes. It's kind of like, right. you know, it's. It's it's by no means a perfect analogy, but it's kind of like Sonny Bono, like everybody knew him from yes. you know from Sonny and Cher, but you know the dude was like the A and R man for you know like Phil Spector's record label, you know I mean like like right. had 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 a, a level of know it all and wherewithal within the record industry that was really unmatched, but all we knew was basically him singing "I Got You, Babe," and, and you know it's funny right. to me how people like like uh, whatever he goes by now like like. Puffy or P Diddy or whatever P Diddy, my wife tells me from across the way here. P Diddy, okay. Um, the the way that those sorts of people, if they're smart about it, are able to leverage each aspect of their empire in other ways that further themselves. I, I really respect that. 
Yeah, and he was and he was really one of the first to uh to to do that and I think, you know, a this is going to sound judgmental and I don't mean it today in a legitimate kind of businessy way. Like I mean, he really was a, a crossover from just like music to production to A&R to the label into fashion and certainly, into all the certainly out of hip hop. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, you know, absolutely. I mean, this was a this was a path that we'd seen some people uh, take, you know, in in pop, in rock, but but you know, in hip hop and the dawn of, of of hip hop as a mass produced cultural item in the early to mid nineties, um, you know, it was it was a it was a ripe field for the picking, and I mean, he did a great job of leveraging everything from from MTV to you know the the burgeoning internet scene, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he really deserves a lot of credit for it, and yeah, I mean, just just within that genre, he was he was certainly a, a trendsetter. Yes. And, and and funny, a, a trendsetter, frankly, that never got a tremendous amount of respect. Like I almost feel like oh yeah, people, people felt he was like coasting on the on the coattails of of, uh, of Biggie. Biggie, and and yeah, and to some degree, you could even argue that it was the exact opposite. That without the promotion that that record label gives Biggie, he probably never becomes as big as he does. Right. Exactly. You know, Biggie obviously a generational hip hop talent and. And, you know, P. Diddy, as he's apparently now known, not, you know, it, it, it didn't help that I think he uh, he tied himself very obviously was very close to Biggie and, and tied himself very closely to that at the beginning. And it kind of becomes hard to disentangle that. Um, but I guess I got to say, I'm amazed he's only 46. When you think about how long he's kind of been, I mean, he's going on a good 20 years as like a known public, you know, a public figure, somebody whose name that we know pop culturally. And, and he's only 46. That's young. It makes you realize how young he was when he was kind of at his artistic peak. Some, so. uh, some, some small tidbits before we uh, break off from this line. He, yes. uh, he, he de- helped develop the Ciroc vodka line for a 50% share of the profits. All right. Uh, he has six children. And he designed the Dallas Mavericks alternate jersey. Holy cow! So that's, that's crazy. <laughs> that's a uh, that, that's that's a pretty good uh, that's a good that's a good day's work right there. That's not bad. Yeah. So all right, next topic, and this is from this is from my wife, uh, friend of the show, and non listener to the show. Uh, although she probably she just listens to my half from upstairs uh, while we while we record. Um, <laughs> Her topic is Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Actually, she just wrote Cursed Child, so there are a lot of different ways I could take that, but I'm going to assume she means the new book that came out over the weekend, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Um, Galen, I, I need to tell you, Harry Potter is a series of books about uh, a young boy who discovers he's a wizard and his okay. English. Screw, and screw, screw all of you. God. <laughs> We had this discussion, I think, on on the pilot episode that you've never never read or seen any of the Harry Potter um, books, movies. All right, Um, I can't assign a tenured professor homework, but you really should get on that. They're they're seriously, if you have cable, they're on freeform like every other day. You can't miss them. Um, I mean, I I'm busy. I don't have time to watch children's movies. You know, I mean, and I feel like I don't need to watch them or read them. Because I feel like I see Harry Potter quotes 
on Facebook all the time to the point that I probably already know all of the plot lines and everything. You know, it's like, yeah. Anyway, sorry, I'm I not. Mean, compl- yeah, I'm not okay. complaining, but yes, go ahead. But uh, okay, I, I I I I can talk for the next. I can I can probably limit this to about a half hour on Cursed Child. Um, no, it's 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 wonderful. It's the uh, it's the continu- It's you know, for anybody who doesn't know, it's a continuation of the Harry Potter storyline. Uh, picked up about twenty years after the the the, the story in the final book, and the, the book that came out over the weekend is actually the screenplay of the play a play that just op- that opened up over the weekend in London, uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And so this is and it's not a novelization like it's the 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 script in just hardcover book form. And uh, we got it over the weekend. We actually went to the to our local Barnes and Noble where they had a countdown to midnight event. And I got to tell you, it was really, really neat. It was really cool. It was really family friendly. They had like how the different, the four different houses from Hogwarts set up. They had activities going all night. Kids dressed up in costumes, grown ups dressed up in costumes. And I was just looking around, and 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 I'm a, I mean, you know me. I've talked about this on here. I'm a sucker for like really positive fan culture. Like seeing people get real so into whatever they love, whether it's sports team comics harry potter star wars whatever i love it i just i i genuinely think that's amazing and we were looking around and I, and i looked around and yes you know these are movies yes they're popular movies but i remember just thinking and i said to my wife everyone's here all these kids and there are a lot of kids a lot of teenagers they're all here because of books and that's just warm that just makes me feel so happy you know there's and and not in a cynical funny you know haha way just like genuinely like like this, this is a series that means a lot and and the book and the story um we got it sunday my wife we got about three o'clock my wife was done with it by 11 o'clock i was <laughs> done with it by three o'clock the next afternoon um it's wonderful if you are a harry potter fan if you've read all the books especially if you've read all the books but if you've seen the movies um it's wonderful it's it's just it's delightful it's a really well done story it's very you know jk rowling the the author of the series was involved with kind of creating the story she didn't write the play but she was involved with kind of the story development and they capture you know it, it it's very faithful to the series um just a lot of lot a lot of fun um so um you should that i you, you should make that a long-term project. Okay, I'll uh, Harry Potter series. I'm gonna put so, my wife. I'm gonna put my wife on it first, and if she gives it positive recommendations, then I'll. She hasn't suit. watched them or read them either. Have you watched the Harry Potter movies, dear? She's she's watched the fourth one. <laughs> and you and you what? You walked out of the theater. Wow, this is okay. So not getting right. positive reviews so far here. So. Uh, I'm outnumbered. I'm outnumbered, but I will stand here. I will stand here on this podcast. So. I don't. Okay, I, I, I'm I'm intrigued enough by your passion for this that that it will will get a look at some point. All right. So we have three more topics. Um, I'm gonna. Uh, we'll start with. Uh, we'll start with my former student Kieran Coffey, now writing for the uh, newspaper in Norwich, because you'll be able to talk much more. Much since I, you know horked all our Harry Potter time. You can kind of take this one. So this is Kieran. Um, Irish soccer side Dundalk, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, just reached the qualifying round of the UEFA Champions League, earning at least 7 million euros in the process. They would have to win their league at least 40 times to earn that amount. What impact will this huge win have on Irish football in the future? 
I'm mm-hmm. letting you. I, I, I'm going to cede all of my my minute here to you on this. I was going to say your your attitudes towards Harry Potter are, are like my attitudes towards soccer. Like you know, I mean, yes, you, you yes. get 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 with the program, man. Um, <laughs> I mean, what? Imp- I mean, first of all, it it highlights what what he's talking about the um, the the fascinating differences in revenues that are available versus you know in like European Champions League football versus uh what's going on in some of these uh individual domestic leagues i mean there's just not enough money in ireland or in wales or in scotland or in denmark to to compete with the amount of money that's going on in the champions league now what's interesting in the champions league uh, brian and and for those of you who don't know how this work if you if you finish, if you win your league, if you're in a smaller league, or if you're in the top two, if you're in a mid-tier league, or if you're in the top three, if you're in a, a big league, you get put into this thing called the Champions League. And what that is in Europe is they take the domestic league winners from all 58 countries that are in UEFA, which is the European Confederation, uh, and then some of the second-place teams, some of the third-place teams, and they put them together in this huge tournament. And they basically start that tournament in the summer, like in, in July. They play some elimination rounds to start with, and then eventually they get to uh, the stage that, that uh, your friend is talking about here. And as you progress through the tournament, if you win and get to a certain point, the money that you make continues to grow. This is separate from your, your domestic league. So, like in the Irish league, like the Dundalk, or um, they'll they'll play their regular domestic league, and I, I think there's like I think there's 20 teams in the Irish league, which means they'll play 38 games there, but they'll also play however many games there are alive for in this in the Champions League tournament. So it's like a separate competition that's going on at the same time, which I don't think we we don't really have anything like that in the United States. The closest thing, as you explain it, that I can think of is. Like in college basketball, um, like winning your league, and then the, the the money that teams make that teams make from going further in the NCAA tournament. But obviously, that's separate. You only get that if you go to the tournament. You don't like get money right. if you win the America East, and then get money in the NCAA tournament. Now, theoretically, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Like we combine the records in the NCAA, so like right. you could you could go eighteen and zero in the Atlantic Ten. And you could lose all of your non-conference games, and you'd still go to the tournament. You probably wouldn't get a great seed, but you'd still go to the tournament. But that you, but your record would be like eighteen and eighteen, or eighteen and fifteen, or whatever. This, it's like uh, whatever their record is in the Irish league will be different, like counted differently than their record in the Champions League. Okay. Um, I mean, look, them having that amount of money, what it's going to do is it's going to set them up to be able to buy much better players, afford better training, afford, you know, build better training grounds or upgrade their the the the, the pitch that they play on. I mean, that's going to give them a huge competitive advantage in the Irish League. Now, I'm not really sure what the other major teams are in the Irish League at this point, but but given that that it's that big of a disparity in money, it'll be huge. And again, there's not really a good analog for that in in American sports, um, it's yeah, since we split revenues so evenly, I guess you could. I mean, even even at like okay, Villanova, which had nowhere near 
the athletic budget of North Carolina. Villanova wins the the NCAA title this year. Um, the way that they apportion revenue, they're not going to make that much money off of that. At least not not directly right. from the NCAA. Um, you know, so that's again, it's like it's very hard to explain to people who don't understand how all that stuff works. Right. Now, is Dundalk is the, are they a perennial strong team in Ireland? Are they a um, are they kind of like a, a newcomer coming up? So the, is this going to throw disparity? Is this like a good team in Ireland getting a ton more money? You know, like do you have any sense of that? Like what that? Well, I mean, their 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 background is. I mean, they won the league last year, and you know they've as far as like what their traditional like their championships they won it well they okay so i i've got the answer for you here thank you google um <laughs> they they this is a team that had a couple of glory periods uh certainly in the late 80s and early 90s they were very good they were good in the in the early 90s and then they won the league last year and the year before um okay. so it's it's not as if they've been a dominant team by any stretch of the imagination. Um, okay. So you know it'll it'll be a big difference for them. Uh, you know because in the the League of Ireland Premier Division, there's actually only twelve teams there. My mistake. Okay. Um, but uh, you know that's and anytime you have a huge infusion of cash like that, it does give that that team that has earned that a significant advantage in terms of how they do things moving forward. Cool. All right. Uh, next topic comes from my sister, Amy Moritz. Uh, it was just MLB trade deadline day. That was yesterday, August 1st. Daniel Norris tweeted, how did we learn about trades before Twitter? Funny, but fair point. I know NHL players who found out they were traded when a media outlet called to have them live on their show. Good journalism? Or is the rush to be first interfering with the, with the process and professional professional relationships needlessly? So the, the, the kind of process, the, this, this kind of gets at the point, I think, of, you know, when, when you see, you know, what, what we talk about in media sociology of, of process journalism, of kind of the story, a story being reported incrementally. Right. Um, we see that all over, but that's especially the case around trade deadlines where like right. talks are going on, uh, you know, a move is made, a move is rumored and, you know, um, and, and it is, it's sometimes it, it does get reported before players know this is what happened to Wilmer Flores, poor Wilmer Flores last year with the Mets. It was reported on Twitter before anybody in the Mets told him and the fans who were sitting behind the dugout saw it on Twitter and were telling him. We're yelling at him like, "Hey, you, you're being traded to Milwaukee," and that's kind of how that's how that how that went up. Um, I always resist the idea to call it good or bad journalism um, because it just kind of is the way journalism is going nowadays. And the kind of I, I, I don't like getting too hung up on whether it's good or bad because you know it's it's kind of here, right. and so you know as long as you're doing as long as it's it's fair, as long as it's accurate. You know, I, I had a blog post today about. Ken Rosenthal, he had a, a he misreported something in the Yasiel Puig story, uh, corrected it, and then went on Twitter and was very open and professional and said, "I messed up my story. I'm sorry. It was wrong. I shouldn't have done it." I basically he 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 fell on his sword in a very good way. Like he it was it was an it was not a non apology. My sources misled me. Apology. It was I blew it. I, my bad. 
and you know and, and move forward on it um I, I, what I what I would think would be interesting, and maybe you can speak to this a little more, is getting away from the journalism relationship of it, but like the relationship between teams and players, or teams and and you know team with teams within leagues, and you know team a, team A trades start a player to team B, team A hasn't told team the player yet because they want to talk to him, but team B's executive calls their their Ken Rosenthal and says, hey, we just made a deal for this guy. You can report on it and, and and goes with it. And I wonder, you know, how that those relationships are kind of being affected by this. Well, I mean, the way I look at it is this: if if we're what are we be what are we concerned about? Are we concerned about like telling somebody that something happened before they themselves have been notified about it? you know that's that's unfortunate but that's i don't know if that's something that media should really be concerned about because right. it's i mean ultimately i guess it depends on where your sourcing's coming from i mean whether whether it's meant to be this way or not most media's most important sources are not the players they're the the, the GMs or the personnel people that are handling those decisions. And so that's who you're primarily interested in, I guess, with this stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the relationships you're having to cultivate. And in most cases, I don't think that those are being bothered uh, or, or negatively affected by what's going on at, with the reporting at the trade deadline. Is it inhumane? Is that a word we use with people? I feel like we only use inhumane when we're dealing with like animals. Animals, yeah, that's which is interesting when you think about it. But but um, is it is it inhumane to report on a trade without the guy or girl, I guess, knowing about it? Um, is that again? Is that your job? Um, and if if you get it right, especially, I mean, was there a was there a human moral cost involved? in in breaking that news how do you know when that person's been told i mean wouldn't you right. i i look at this more as a failing of sports in that okay you know um we're willing to consummate trades and talk about them like we're talking about having traded stocks or bought or sold right. cattle futures uh right. as individuals and then and then we turn around and we complain about how players don't show loyalty to teams or don't show loyalty to fan bases. And it's like, you know, this stuff, this stuff happens all the time. Every league's trade trade deadline, every league's free agency period, you know, players are treated like they are commodities and they are commodities, but then don't expect a commodity to have some kind of, 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 you know, warm and fuzzy feeling for your organization afterwards. Right. You know, it, it kind of gets back to our discussion a couple of weeks ago, whereas if your workplace was like the sports workplace and, you know, when, when all of a sudden you could be you could be sent to another school, school's comm department or for a sociology prof to be named later. Um, and, 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 it, and, you know, you know, I, I, I do wonder how, you know, executive relationships and trade, you know, trade talks and, and personnel talks within teams and within you know, between teams, both within teams and between teams, it's in, it'd be interesting for me to think about how that's been affected by, by, by not just social media, but 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 by the proliferation of digital media and the kind of expansion of outlet of outlets covering teams, where 
you know, a, a, a mid-level scout or mid-level person in the GM's office who knows that, hey, we're shopping Yasiel Puig. This is an example. I'm not basing this in anything, but just as a name. You know, they're, they're trying to trade Yasiel Puig. Um, whereas, you know, pre in previous eras, you know, they would, that this guy would have to, you know, admit, you know, and as, as sports organizations have grown in size too, whereas previously it would be the Dodgers GM talking to Jim Murray and, dro- and, and dropping this line and, you know, whether Jim uses it or not, but it's at that level. But now, you know, assistant, G- assistant to the GM who's in the room can, you know, email a guy doing a Dodgers blog. Right. Who can then tweet it? Who can then tweet it out? And all of a sudden, that I I, I do wonder. And, and how, so, the, how does that affect the? You know, again, hypothetically, the Dodgers trying to trade Puig when they know when, when you always wonder, well, is this going to get out? I just that that's kind of where I think the question is coming from. More, I think we're we're going. We're, it's interesting to think about. Like, yes, it's kind of inhumane to talk about players as commodities, but they do. And I, I and so not from a media perspective, but I do wonder how it's affected the relationships between GMs, the people in charge of putting together rosters, and and players too. Like all of a sudden, um, how how it's kind of affected their relationships. You know, it, it, I think it's, it does make it more complicated a little bit, and um, yeah, it kind of adds that layer. So I look at right. it like I look at it like this: pre Twitter, it was kind of like. Um, I don't know what it was. I, can't, I, can't, I don't have. A, I don't have a perfect analogy for this. But right now, it's like high school, where okay, like something happens or is getting ready to happen, and then it hits the rumor mill, and everybody knows about it, and you have to walk around and live in that environment where you know everybody knows about it because it happens almost immediately, and like mm-hmm. I, I feel like in the pre the pre Twitter age, the pre social media age, you could kind of. It, a lot of what would happen in a big market would you would you would have a similar sort of an effect where you'd have radio and you'd have television reporting on things and newspaper be writing about it, um, but it wouldn't be a, na- a nationally known thing. It would just be something that was more locally based or regionally based, and right. so you didn't have to worry about it. Now something breaks even on a, on a local level. And it gets national almost immediately. And that, I think, can be yeah. off-putting for people who are not used to that level of exposure. I just happen to be of the opinion that it really doesn't matter all that we think it does because our perception of things tells us that we think it should. But in reality, I don't think it does. All right. So we're 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 getting close to uh to an hour here, and uh, we have one more topic, and and we we can talk about this one. We can we can table it. We we can. I'd like to start talking about it, but if we want, with this, I think we could build a whole episode around. Uh, your friend Keenan Gill posted this on your wall. Moving specifically, the things we hold on to, the things we shed, and the surprises we find along the way. That is a really interesting topic. It's a deep, it's a um, deep topic. Uh, it is a, a deep topic, and something you're, you're going through right now, having just bought, bought and moved. So yes, well, you know, and I'll say this: it's I went through a, a conscious process where I tried to figure out, okay, what should I, what should I take with me? What should I not take with me? How much? Part of it was we kind of made a, a rash, late decision that we were going to try to sell our house and, and look for a new house, and it was entirely market-driven because uh, okay. we had a really like good housing market here at this particular time. And so, you know, it's like, well, 
okay, one one you know, we went from being perfectly happy in our house and we, we loved our old house to being in a situation where we just kind of decided, all right, we're going to look for something. And then, you know, two months later, we had moved out of our house and we're, we're you know, it, we wouldn't have done it this way if we had planned ahead of time, I guess is my point. Right. And so mm-hmm. um, I, I do think that from some to some degree, I would have loved to have pared things down a lot more. There was a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that I've had to carry here in the last couple of days where I asked myself, <laughs> why the heck did I bring this with me? And, um, and, you know, look, I've already, I already, particularly through the packing process, I found a bunch of things that I, hold on. Uh, We're professional uh, podcasters here, folks. My dog just walked through my headphone cable and pulled them off my head. Thank you, Nelson. That was, that was very, very, ow, don't bite. Um, Sorry about that, folks. Where was I? Um, I found several things in this process which have uh, I've surprised me that I've kept a hold of them as long as I have. Um, All right. And, you know, it's it's something that, says the dog chews on the cable of the, the laptop, buddy, you're going to electrocute yourself if you keep doing this. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it, does, it does make me think about Every time I've moved, and I, I hadn't moved for seven years uh, prior to this current move, and this that that time that I moved into my old house seven years ago marked the end of a period of time where I moved on average 1.3 times a year every year from the time that I was 18 until that year, which was when I was age 30, so like a 13-year period of time, basically. Um. And every time I moved, I would ask myself, why the hell am I moving all of this stuff? Like, why don't I pare right. things down more? And and I find that that feeling kind of increases as I go along, and yet the amount of things that you're not willing to let go of uh, or or feel like you've you've hit a point in your life where you're, you're comfortable accruing things, I guess, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, uh, you're at that point and you're like, well, I have to keep this and I have to keep this. Like, a great example is... When I was 14, my dad, or 13, I guess it was, my dad took me uh, a couple hours away to a uh, a vinyl uh, sale, like for records, you know, like you know, vinyl sure. records. And this was back in the early 90s when, uh, you know, vinyl was not a thing again yet. Like, you know, everybody right. was like completely into CDs and you could go buy records like a buck a piece. And I started collecting these things, and I would listen to them, and I, you know, I found them very fascinating. And as a, as time went by, I've accrued more and more. And when my dad died, he had a bunch, and I inherited those. And now I've got like seven hundred of these, you know, eight hundred records, something like that. Right. And, and I they're not keep, light. And they're not light. And that was probably the thing that broke my back the most in this process. But what am I going to do? Like get rid of the records? Like you know that that doesn't right. seem like a logical thing to do so you end up you end up making these sorts of compromises and you have to really you have to really think about why you do those sorts of things and i don't know yeah. that you ever come up with a really good answer no the joke you know i always make is we're still unpacking but it's true like we we had 
when we, we, we bought a house in Binghamton before the year we got married, so 2006, and we bought a house and we loved the house. It was an older house. We, we were very happy there. And even then, like we had accrued stuff, like I had accrued stuff in my many moves and my wife had accrued stuff during many moves and, you know, put it together and, you know, kind of call stuff joint you know you know kind of two people combining all their stuff into one as as does then after and, and then when we first moved up to uh to the rochester area we moved into a townhouse and it was always with the understanding that this is a temporary place until we figure out where where we land full time and you know so the basement of our you know i you 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 remember our basement from the old uh s uh from our old video show or the the sportscom research hour where yes. it was just boxes and you know it was it was not this this plush laundry room that i have now it was <laughs> you know it was basically a, a storage closet and um and uh and and so we and a lot of that stuff really was just we moved it up from binghamton to the basement of our of our house in, in near Canadagua and it was like, okay, this is staying here until we move and then we'll unpack. And then we moved it all over again when we moved into, into our house about a year and a half ago. And this past year, we've really made a concerted effort. We, uh, we actually did that, that, uh, started doing that KonMari, uh, decluttering thing, um, which is, you know, kind of one of those popular, um, uh, it's kind of self-helpy decluttering thing, uh, but it really is like the, the basic idea of it is if it is when you go through your clothes, you go through your kitchen stuff, you go through all your all, everything, and if if it doesn't, the idea behind it is not the usual. Do you use this? Do you want to keep it? Stuff. It's does this bring you joy? And if it doesn't bring you joy anymore, then you you, you then you 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 get you get rid of it. You basically thank it for its service and and move on. Um, and when we went through and we went through our, our basement, we pared it down and it is so, I mean, I mean, it's one of those things where especially, you know, once you throw a kid into the, into the mix, it can get, it can get, you can get really attached to a lot of stupid stuff really, really quickly. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's one of those things where we made a concerted effort where we have a memory box and we, memory boxes and we put like good, good drawings, not just everything she did at school that day, but good drawings, good stuff. And we put that in there and it can be really hard to get to throw, you know, to donate to get, you get old clothes or you get like, you know, the, you know, this toy that she used to play with that she loved when she was, you know, 18 months old and all oh, that's sweet. And, you know, part of you is sentimental and you want to keep that because you want to remember when your kid was 18 months old and how much she loved it and who she was, you know, but she's almost six now and she has no need for, for right. this thing. So, you know, it, 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 it's, it, it's really, really tough. And it is, it's always, ama- it was always amazing to me when we were cleaning, organizing our basement this last go, like there were seriously boxes that we hadn't opened since we lived in Binghamton. And we moved up here in 2012, early 2012. And there was stuff, there was just like, you know, it, it, it's so funny the the stuff you find, and there or there's like literally boxes of junk that you like. Okay, I'm just gonna throw all this stuff in a box and put it downstairs, and then it kind of gets lumped in with other boxes, yeah. and now all of a sudden you've got basically a junk door, junk drawer with like three half working pens, an old binder clip, and yeah. a used Tim Hortons gift card. I've done. Um, I feel like I've done a lot. I've done very well to pare that stuff down. Like I used to never throw anything away and I'd have these big boxes of papers and notes and pictures and all that stuff that would just kind of get bigger and bigger. And, and when I will say when I was packing for this, 
I, I cut a lot of that stuff down. Like, I got rid of a lot of those things. Where I run into trouble is, like, the more tangible things, like the media and, and, and mm-hmm. stereo, stereo equipment. And, you know, it's like my, my dad um, started, like, buying a bunch of, like, model train cars and engines and stuff like that off of ebay in the, in the latter years of his life and and when he died i found all these boxes of this stuff at the house and i haven't wanted to get rid of it but i haven't been able to go through it and figure out what i want to keep and what you know what should be gotten rid of and right. it's just it ends up being it ends up being very complicated because it's not just yeah. a matter of oh this brings me joy or this doesn't sometimes it's like i don't know if this brings me joy and i haven't had the right. time to i haven't had the time to figure that out um or well look this may not bring me joy right now but it might at some point down the road and right. and that makes me not want to just get rid of it and so it's well, it's a very complicated yeah. process i think it is it is and um you know, it's one of those things, if you have room for it, obviously there's no harm in keeping it. It's when right. you run, you know, if you've got a place for this stereo equipment, like our, our issue is books. I mean, Jesus, the yeah. books that we have, you know, and, um, you know, what do you do with them? You don't want to throw it. You, you know, we donated a bunch that we never want, but, you know, especially, you know, given our racket, you know, I have a lot of sport books about sports and kind of tangential sports media books, like, do I throw? Do I get? Do I donate them when they when they could be used? It's it, and especially it gets so tough when you get stuff, whether it's you know whether your dad or my daughter or something. Whenever you kind of infuse that with that sentimentality and that attachment to that person, it right. becomes that much harder, and you just can't. You know, you can't. It, it, it does. It it, it it moves beyond that kind of binary yes no yes I'm going to use this yes I'm not yes this brings me joy yes it it doesn't because it's it's you know, it it does kind of get very, very. It gets tough. It gets complicated to move, uh, to to uh, to uh, to deal to deal with that. Um, yeah. Um. Uh, do you do you, so in your unpacking and packing up? What's it, we'll wrap this up? What's the weirdest or funniest or like what the hell most what the hell thing that you found? Oh boy. Um, the weirdest or funniest or most what the hell thing? Um. I don't know, man. I mean, I I did run across a bunch of my like childhood artwork that I hadn't. <laughs> I don't think I'd ever looked at. I, I'm convinced in looking at some of it, I wasn't even looking at it while I was painting it. Uh, okay. So it was like it was like it was like finding somebody else's kids stuff in your stuff, but then you realize mm-hmm. it's actually yours. Um, right. Or there was one in this. I, I, I can't say that I necessarily found it during packing, but it happened right before we started to pack. I, I've been going through and like digitizing audio tapes, like old cassettes and stuff like that. And I found uh, this was this was last late last summer. I found a tape of me when I was like eight, broadcasting a computer basketball game into the tape recorder. Uh, you know, that, so it's like, that, that, we, we need that. That needs to be that needs. I think that needs to be in show notes for next week. I, I well, I don't. I don't know where the file is right now. I think it's on one of uh-huh. one of my other computers. But if I find it, I'll be happy to give it to you. It's uh, it's just me with this like you know little boy's squeaky voice. Uh, it's it's it doesn't sound like me. At least to me, right. to my ear, it doesn't. So, uh, but it was interesting, and it's like it's funny, like recorded media. 
there's so little of it from my childhood, you know, because we didn't have a video mm-hmm. recorder until I was like, I think we got a, we got like a, a camcorder when I was like 10 or 11. And, you know, we had like the audio cassette recorders, but audio tapes were still kind of expensive back then. So it wasn't like I taped myself doing a huge number of things. And, you know, there are pictures of me from back then, but, you know, pictures are, pictures are kind of the least personal of all of the mediums, I think. Um, so it's, it's interesting whenever I come across little artifacts like that, uh, mm-hmm. just kind of trying to get my head wrapped around where, where I was when that was happening and like how everything transitioned into where I am now. And that's, that's okay. kind of, that screws you with you mentally a little bit. And it's something you, sometimes you don't really run across those things or think about them until you start packing things up. And sometimes it's even, it's not even like a recorded medium. Sometimes it's something intangible uh, or, you know, minimally tangible, like a, like a piece of artwork or something like that, or or a report yeah. card that you had from second grade. Right. Yeah, we found I'm, the funniest thing, the, the kind of what the hell that we found were we found spices that had been expired for almost a decade. Yeah, that that's um, you know, it's funny. Right. I, uh, why why did we why did we think to keep them? Like, the, and it wasn't like it wasn't like like fancy spices that you can't buy. It was like oregano and like parsley. Like, it's they're ninety nine the, cents. It's one of the bigger. It was one of the bigger points of contention between my wife and I when we were moving her out of her Chicago apartment. We, uh, her brother and I, uh, were packing up her spice cabin, and there was stuff that had been expired for like four or five years at that point. Mm-hmm. We just tossed it. She was at work. She came back from work and was really, really angry that we had tossed all of those things, and and, and maintained that kind of bitter edge for a good year or two. Uh, so I'm glad that you're, I'm glad that you two, uh, you know, came to a joint decision about tossing those spices rather than one of you acting unilaterally. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you know, the, the expiration date's always a nice cold, cold marker. And again, this was like oregano. This was not like special tarragon right. hand in India. Like it was, it was dollar store oregano are- that we kept. 10 years those were my gray himalayan salts you bastard you know no it wasn't anything like that yeah nothing like that so (laughs) well um Uh, i think we've run out of did we did we have any other questions oh that 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 is all the the listen the listener and non-listener feedback that was some good stuff today so we enjoyed it thank you folks you can always always get in touch with us on social media give us questions doesn't have to be just when brian or i put out the call you can give them questions yeah. any time of the week and we'll answer them the following week absolutely so so um well yeah. uh so yeah good times look, look yep look for you can subscribe to us on itunes on stitcher and uh through rss show notes are at sportsmediaguide.com click on the flip side this is season two episode 11 so yeah uh, thank you for listening, folks. Send send Xanax uh, if you have it. Uh, <laughs> the, some muscle relaxants after this move uh, would be much appreciated. Uh, but uh, hopefully I recover uh, rapidly, and, and Brian will look forward to taping with you on our normal day uh, next yep. week. Uh, but uh, thanks to all you folks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you all on the flip side. Thank you.